our daily bread. Um, we've been looking at it from Luke's Gospel, so you might like to have your uh, New Testaments open in, in front of you. at Luke chapter 11, if you're using one of the red Bibles that you ought to be able to find in the church pews in front of you, that's page 1042, page 1042. Um, this morning, it's the kind of sermon where we'll be uh, going through various parts of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So for certain parts of it, it'll be a wee bit of a paper chase, but it would help you to uh, certainly be rooted in Luke chapter 11. As we come to look at it, then let's just uh, remind ourselves of uh, Luke's version of uh, Jesus' teaching on prayer here. Jesus said, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Let's just have a word of prayer and ask for God to help us to look at what for many of us is quite a a familiar topic in a fresh way. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that the clear teaching of your word is that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that uh, proceeds from the mouth of the Father, that is from your mouth. However, Father, as we acknowledge this, we uh, need to confess to you that uh, we have uh, needs as your people and as human beings living in your world. We also want to confess as your people how often we have... uh, failed to take seriously, in particular, what your word has to say about uh, social issues, about justice, about oppression of the poor, and uh, never more so than in the individualistic world that we inhabit at the moment in Western Europe. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would bring the uh, light of your truth to, to, to shine in our uh, darkened minds. We ask that you would illuminate our thoughts, We ask, Lord, that you might enable us to think in a fresh way about this whole issue of material provisions and what we need and what we don't need, greed, and maybe some of the wider issues too, Lord, to to do with the wider world of which we are a part. Lord, we ask that we would be prepared to think in your categories, that we would be prepared to think radically, but most of all, that we might be prepared to think biblically, and in line with what you have to say. And so, Father, we ask for your help now, um, in Jesus' name, and for his sake. Amen. There's one episode of the Simpsons that caused a great deal of outrage among Christians in the United States when it came out. In it, Homer asks... But to say grace at the table and pray for the food. And Bart, in his, characteristically, in his characteristic style, opens his mouth and, and comes out with, Dear God, we worked hard for the money to buy this food, so thanks for nothing. Now, while one can easily sympathise with some of the concerns of people who complained about that, I think we also have to say that in his own way, in his own um, unique style, that 
a Bart hits a raw nerve in many of our lives, doesn't he? Of course, we would never ever, ever say it like he did or express it quite like that in such blatant and shocking terms. But how many of us go happily through life thinking that we've worked hard for what we've achieved and that God really hasn't got anything to do with it at all? Some of us might even pay lip service to him in prayers or in coming to church every week, but yet secretly harbour this attitude that we got where we did by our own hard work, by our own blood, sweat, toil and tears, and that we don't owe God anything. And so I think before we're too quick to condemn young Bart Simpson, and we will certainly return to him later on, we first of all need to undergo a bit of um, rigorous self-examination about some of our own attitudes towards God and especially his material provision for us. And of course, it's that material provision that lies right at the heart of this specific request in the Lord's Prayer that we're looking at this morning. Give us each day our daily bread. I think many people are quite shocked and surprised that something as ordinary and as mundane as daily bread appears right smack bang in the middle of one of the greatest and most lofty prayers in the whole of Christian scripture. Aren't we supposed to be dealing with spiritual things, heavenly things, that kind of thing, rather than our weekly groceries when we come to prayer, aren't we? And this, of course, is one of the things about Christianity that makes it very different from Buddhism. Whereas, original, whereas a religion like Buddhism has as its ultimate goal the transcendence or certainly the annihilation of all our bodily and natural desires into some kind of spiritual nirvana, Jesus here is quite open and honest about the fact that they exist, that we do have natural desires, that the physical world is important, and that therefore we should pray about these, these things and be uninhibited about bringing them to God. Now, of course, worldly things like bread aren't the only things that we should be praying about. Even the uh, position of this request in the Lord's Prayer tells us that, doesn't it? First of all, we've got to come to God acknowledging that he is our Father. Then we pray for the uh, honour and glory of his name. Hallowed be your name. His agenda in prayer is far more important than ours. And then we are to pray, as we were saying last week, for his kingdom to come on earth. That means that we are to pray that people will become Christians, that they will realise that man doesn't live on bread alone, and that God's kingdom would spread around the world as a result. However, after we've prayed for all of those things, Jesus invites and encourages us to pray about our own needs. They are not insignificant or unimportant, Neither is God too remote or too busy or too distant. Instead, he wants to hear from us and takes great pleasure in supplying our daily needs. So, all I really want to do this morning is to spend some time just uh, unpacking this verse word by word so we can try and get a a clearer idea of how we in our lives and our experience and our a situation here, are to pray for our daily necessities in the way that Jesus taught. 
And as we do so, we will discover that our prayers for a daily bread need to be characterized by four characteristics. First of all, necessity. The first thing that we need to note is that God is commanding us to pray for necessities and not luxuries. Um, Bread in the ancient world was the staple foodstuff. And as such, it symbolizes not only food in general, but also kind of sums up and summarizes all of our material needs. In ancient Israel, the price of bread was even one of the major indicators of how the economy was doing, probably in a very similar way to the interest rate or the um, inflation rate today. When the price of bread was low, the economy was in good shape. Bread was plentiful and there was lots to go around. As was normally the case, when the price was high, folk were beginning to starve, they were poor, they were beginning to go hungry, and there was probably a war on somewhere uh, as well that that was holding up the all-important grain exports and imports. And so here when Jesus is talking about praying for bread, he's talking about praying for life's necessities. He's talking about those things that we need in order to exist and get through life with some measure of happiness and satisfaction. Things like food and clothes, reasonable fuel and heating, and somewhere to live, a house. When we pray for bread, we are praying for necessities. In actual fact, the word translated daily bread could equally be as rendered, well-rendered essential bread or necessary bread. In fact, as we saw earlier on during Robert's talk to the kids, the message translation probably just about captures it with keep us alive with three square meals. Not in luxury, but not on the poverty line either. Keep us alive with three square meals. And that's the kind of sentiment that we actually find throughout Scripture. Especially in one little known prayer in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. To be helpful, if you could turn there, it's Proverbs chapter 30 and verses 7 to 9. You can find that on uh, page 666. And this is the prayer of a chap called Agur. And he prayed, Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And here's the crucial bit. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of the Lord. Do you see the twin danger there? One reason for praying to God to provide what we need is that our poverty wouldn't become so dreadful that we are forced to steal and thereby dishonor God's name. In praying this prayer, we we are praying that we might never be so poor that we would have to resort to a life of crime. However, it's absolutely true to say that I don't think that affects any of us here. Instead, a far greater danger for us is the opposite extreme, where we are so rich and prosperous that we have a tendency to forget about God altogether. And that's what it means when it says that we may have too much and say, who is the the Lord? Where is he? I, I don't know him. I've forgotten about him completely. The danger for us, you see, is not that we would dishonor the Lord 
poverty, but that we would forget about him in affluence. And elsewhere in Scripture, it's very upfront about the dangers of having too much. This is what, uh, what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and verses 6 to 10, it'll be coming up on the screen. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and the trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, money is a spiritual force. There is something about money that can control us and blind us and even possess us and lead us away from God. With great riches comes great temptation and also, Paul says, great spiritual danger. And so God warns us against lusting after wealth. Far better, he says, to be content with what you have and be spiritually safe. Now, there are Christians who God does bless with wealth. I think, largely, because he knows that they can handle it and that he can trust them to steward it well and to use it for godly ends. But I think that even there, that's actually something that God chooses to do and not something that he wants us to specifically pray for. Instead, he calls us only to pray for daily necessities. Lots of you here have uh, heard of the prayer of Jabez, and some of you have maybe maybe even prayed it. Maybe a few more of us, though, need to familiarise ourselves with the prayer of Agur in Proverbs. Lord, don't make me poor in case I steal and bring your name into disrepute. Lord, don't make me rich in case I become proud and self-reliant and forget about you. Instead, give me just the amount I need. Give us this day our daily bread. Help me to be content with the amount that you provide for me. See, that's a much harder prayer to pray, isn't it? Lord, don't make me rich in case I become proud and self-reliant and forget about you. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to pray that prayer. You see, sometimes... God doesn't give us what we ask for, for our own good. I think sometimes our um, motives are wrong. Other times, he just simply knows that if he were to answer our prayers, then it would lead straight into spiritual danger. The old illustration holds true. We wouldn't give a chainsaw to a, a child. And so God sometimes withholds material riches from us for our own good. One author has called this the blessing of denial. And maybe sometimes we need to experience that in our lives. We have to pray for necessities, not luxuries. Need, not greed, has to be our catchphrase. Then the uh, next characteristic that we can see in this prayer is generosity. The uh, thing that we notice about the Lord's Prayer is its corporate nature. It's easy to overlook the fact that it says, give us today our daily bread and not give me today my daily bread which is how we often read it 
when we pray for daily bread, it is not just with a view to ourselves, but also to others as well. These are the uh, instructions that, once again, the uh, Apostle Paul gives to the rich in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Again, it's coming up on the screen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And what this is teaching us is that the Lord sometimes blesses us with resources so that we can give to other people. The basic idea is that God is generous to us and we can be generous to others in response. Many of you here have jobs. Have you ever considered that the reason that you have a job is not only so that you can provide daily bread for yourself, but is also so that you might actually have some left over to share with others. Whenever we pray, give us each day our daily bread. We are recognizing our oneness with other Christians and affirming our willingness to help them in their time of need. Now, a few of you here may not think that you're very rich, but the truth is that virtually all of us here are very rich in global terms. We are living, for a start, in the world's third or fourth largest economy. We are among some of the richest people ever to have lived, who have the most possessions in the whole of human history. And if virtually any of us here were to to visit some parts of Africa or South America or Eastern Europe, we would be able to live like kings. See, God's command to us is to be rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share. Now, this obviously applies to our local church community here in Edinburgh. But it also applies more widely than that. As I was preparing this, I was really led to think about those Christians who maybe live in places that are ravaged by war and, and, and famine or social unrest and who lack daily bread as a result. You see, there are some believers in the world who didn't have any bread yesterday, don't have any today, and in human terms, are unlikely to have any tomorrow either. What are we doing about them? Now, I know it's often difficult to know how best to help those in poorer areas of the world. We suffer from what's termed compassion fatigue, because we're so used to seeing them on a television all the time that it no longer moves us. Or we kind of feel crippled by this sense of helplessness and think that nothing that we can ever do is ever going to make a, a difference. However, two suggestions of maybe two small things that we can do. Firstly, we can give what we can in a focused and meaningful way. Groups like the Barnabas Fund are organizing aid for the Christians in Iraq right at this very moment. Something else that we can perhaps do is take an interest in one particular project or campaign and support that. Digging a well in a remote village or supporting a scheme to buy villagers tools so that they can farm their own crops without having to rely on outside aid. And and again, there's plenty of information about this kind of project um, from groups on the internet or groups like a tear fund and so on. 
And then secondly, we can pray with genuine concern. I was um, thinking about this and wondering if there's anything that we can do to uh, make our prayers more meaningful and more effective in this area. And one thing I came up with that might make our, our prayers more effective would be to imagine what it would be like if we were them. What, what would it mean for me to pray for daily bread if I was in someone else's shoes? So what, what would it mean for me to pray for a daily bread if I was a Christian in Iraq right now? What things would I need? What would it mean to pray for a daily bread if I were a, a child in a church-run community project in Mexico? How would I pray for a daily bread if I was a nurse in an AIDS clinic or the a pastor of a church in Sudan? What would it mean for me to pray for a daily bread if I was an old-age pensioner on a housing estate in Manchester? Well, what would that mean? What would it mean for you to pray for daily bread if you were the person sitting next to you? What are their needs and concerns? Would you know? Would you be willing to do something practical to meet those needs if you did? One of the good friends of uh, John Wesley was a man called Samuel Bradburn. On um, one occasion when Samuel Bradburn was going through a hard time financially, John Wesley sent him the following letter. Dear Samuel, trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Psalm 37, verse 3, yours affectionately, John Wesley. And with the letter, he enclosed two crisp new five-pound notes. The reply was prompt. Reverend and dear sir, I have often been struck with the beauty of the passage of scripture quoted in your letter. But I must confess that I never saw such good and useful expository notes. (laughs) I am reverent and dear sir, your obedient and grateful servant, Samuel Bradburn. How are our expository notes on some of these passages of scripture. How are our expository notes? Are they in line with the text? Or are they unfaithful to the text and deviate from it? How are our expository notes? When we pray, give us each day our daily bread. We do so recognizing that God may wish to use our resources to provide daily bread for someone else. Generosity. Number three, dependence. When we pray for a daily bread, we are verbalizing and expressing our daily dependence on God. And we can see this again in the, uh, in the, in the verse from words like each day, today, and daily. Again, the inference of this is that this is something that we should pray every day. We need food and clothing and somewhere to live every day and so our lives ought to be characterised by a daily dependence on God for whatever we need. I think that in um, Luke's account here, the fact that Jesus emphasises that we are to pray for daily bread each day is probably a throwback to the Old Testament when God was providing manna for the children of Israel to eat in the desert while they were wandering around there for 40 years. 
God, at that time in the history, only provided the manna for them one day at a time in order to teach them that they were dependent on him. And it seems to me that one of the reasons why God wants his disciples to pray every day about daily necessities is to remind them that they are absolutely dependent on God and not to forget it. You see, like the Israelites, the danger for us is that we would forget about God in our affluence and that we would start to become self-reliant. This is how uh, Moses warned them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 to 14. Again, it might help us to uh, look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verses 10 to 14, just a few verses further on from from where we read about man not living by bread alone, which is um, verse 3. And um, we'll read from uh, verse 10 to verse 14. Moses writes, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Notice the first line of that in verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, what are you to do next? Praise the Lord. When we have eaten and are satisfied, we are to praise God. You see, the antidote to self-reliance and our human tendency to forget about God's goodness is worship and thanks and praise. It keeps us dependent on God. And one way I think that this can express itself in our lives as Christians is not only coming together as a a church to kind of sing songs of uh, thanks and praise to God for his goodness, but it's also, and especially in this context, it's to be something daily, part of our daily dependence. And for me, saying grace as as meals, saying grace um, before meals, acts as a kind of theological safety net in this respect. Just as I'm about to think that I have a right to this food, or that I I, uh, bought it with my own money, it reminds me that I am dependent on God and wouldn't have anything at all if it wasn't for him. In the scriptures we see Jesus saying grace before he fed the 5,000. We see him saying grace again at the Last Supper. We see him saying grace again when he was with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We see the Apostle Paul even pausing to say grace when he was having his, his lunch in the middle of a shipwreck in Acts chapter 27, 35. See, giving thanks every day keeps us reliant on God. It helps us develop a kind of God consciousness where we positively remember and bring to mind some of the many ways he has blessed us. A job so that we can provide for ourselves or a nice walk to work in the the mornings so that we can enjoy his creation. And I think learning to give thanks every day is a crucial discipline for us as Christians. It's not something that we're going to just slip into naturally. It needs to be practiced 
there's something wholesome and positive about living all of life with a consciousness of God's hand on it and with a sense of gratitude to him. And I think learning to say thank you for something every single day and, and saying grace just before meals is a good way of practically doing that and making sure that it actually happens. As the Puritan writer Thomas Watson said in the 17th century, God gives us a, a daily bread, we should give him a daily praise. God gives us a, a daily bread, we should give him a daily praise. And that just about sums it up, doesn't it? When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we, ex- we are expressing and verbalizing our dependence and thanks to God. And then finally, relationship. And this brings us to the first word in the verse, give. A word that talks about the relationship we have with God as our Father, where we can come to him with confidence to ask him to supply what we need. And the Bible gives us an argument from the lesser to the greater about this. It encourages us to think about the way that God has provided for creation, specifically the birds and the flowers, and then to consider how much more God is going to look after us, his children, who he loves. And the key passage there is just a uh, few chapters on in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 12 and verses 22 to 31. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. And a few verses down. Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Two things quickly that we need to note from this. Firstly, God cares. God cares about our needs. He specifically here, a number of times, tells us not to worry and not to be anxious, but to trust in him and keep putting the spread of the gospel first. Both the ravens and the flowers are provided for, he says, even although they are a lot less valuable than we are. And then secondly, God knows exactly what we need before we ask him. In contrast to the pagans who run around like headless chickens, worrying about what they're going to eat, drink or wear, Jesus says that his people are to be characterized by a quiet confidence, security and trust in God because he already knows what they need before they come to ask him. However, the fact that God already knows what we need does not mean that we don't need to pray Relationship means communication. We bring our needs to God as dependent children, and he delights to supply what we need as our Heavenly Father. And that's really all the encouragement that we need, isn't it? God cares, 
And God knows and he longs to hear from us about the things that concern us, the things that we need. We have this standing invitation to come to him with whatever needs we have, no matter how small or how mundane we sometimes might think they are. So this means that all those workers who were so unfairly made redundant by text messages on Friday can pray for a new job. God wants to hear about that. It means that we can pray for the good weather to keep up for the student barbecue this afternoon. If you are stressed about your exams or or your work, it means that it is okay for you to to pray for some personal space so that you can unwind and, and relax. That kind of prayer is okay. If you're a single parent and you need a babysitter for you to go back to work, then that ought to be a matter of urgent prayer for you and and for your church fellowship group of which you're a part. If you want to go on a summer missions team, perhaps as a student or young person or even an, an older person and you like the funds, then you ought to pray to God about that in the full assurance that if it's the right thing to do, then he will definitely provide. You see... None of those prayers is substandard or unspiritual or unimportant. This is Christianity, not Buddhism. God wants us to come to him with our needs. The Apostle Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. You see, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We're not just praying into thin air, we're praying in the context of a stable, established, loving, caring relationship with God as his dependent children. So then, let's return to uh, young Bart Simpson and his grace. First of all, I think we need to commend Bart for the fact that he's actually saying grace at all. And also for the, for the fact that the Simpson family, every night, have a meal together, sitting round the table, where they actually talk and interact to one another, rather than just eating pizza in front of the television. So, one up for the Simpsons. However, Bart's grace is clearly inadequate on other grounds. Firstly, Bart lacks an integrated theology of work. It has plainly never occurred to him that work is actually a gift from God. And that even the work that his uh, father does, down at the nuclear power plant, is one of the ways that God uses to provide their daily bread as a family. Furthermore, Bart hasn't realised that everything the Simpsons own, including their money, is from God. None of it is theirs, so even the fact that they bought their food with it does not mean that they do not have to give thanks to God. Thirdly, and I think this is the main problem, is Bart's irreverence and ingratitude towards God. In fact, it might interest, it might interest Bart to know that the very a definition of sin that we're given in Romans chapter 1 verse 21 is of someone who refuses to say thank you to God for the good things that they have been given. You see, often we are happy to live in God's world and receive his blessings, but yet we never say thank you to him. 
we enjoy his creation, we maybe enjoy the food that he pr- provides and, and the love of our friends and our family circles. But yet we live our lives our own way, closing the door on him, ignoring him, as if we had some, somehow deserved all these, the, these things or had earned them for ourselves. And that kind of ingratitude is symptomatic of, of human beings as a, a, a whole, but it's also symptomatic of a far deeper problem in our hearts, which is our tendency to go our own way and ignore God. And the Bible has some sobering words to say that that kind of attitude is so deep-seated and so serious that it separates us from God now, and if it isn't checked, if we don't turn around, then it, it will one day separate us from God for all eternity as well. And the good news, though, offered to us in Christ is that there is a way for us to become a part of God's family. There's a way for us to join God's people. When you come to trust in the death of the Lord Jesus for us, where he took our ingratitude, our rebellion, our punishment on himself, when we trust in that, we cease to be outsiders and worthless rebels and become daily loved and privileged children, part of, of his people, part of his family. From then on, we can look up and when we need something, we can see the smile on his face. We can trust him to supply our daily needs. We have the full assurance of, of his people, which Jesus talks about, that we don't need to worry. God knows God cares. He loves us and he's promised to provide for us and hear and answer prayer. So then, how do you compare to Bart Simpson? Do you say grace before meals? Do you have an integrated theology of work? Have you realised that everything you own ultimately comes from God? Do you tell God daily that you are grateful to him for the daily necessities that he provides. A far more important question, though, than how our our prayers compare, compare with Bart Simpson is how our prayers compare with the one that Jesus taught us here. Do we pray for necessities, not luxuries? Do we pray with a spirit of generosity towards others? Do we give thanks out of conscious dependence on God? And most importantly of all, do we pray all these things within the context of a loving and stable relationship with God as our Heavenly Father and with us as his grateful and dependent children. Let's pray together.